Welcome to Series 8, Episode 5 with Rodney Rowe. Rodney started his career with hometown club Huddersfield Town, but was persuaded to join the Minstermen back in 1997, where he became a cult hero for supporters due to his goal-scoring exploits. Rodney now reflects on his time at Booth and Crescent. This podcast is once again sponsored by Had IT, who assist organisations with their internal print, copy and scan function using the latest technology from a range of manufacturers. If your place of work is looking for a copier or just some advice in this area, then get them to give James a call on 07376 674 That's James on 07376 674 These podcasts are a spin-off from York Hospital Radio, a charity who provide a service to patients at York Hospital. If you are able to donate to the charity, then please visit justgiving.com slash York Hospital Radio. Justgiving.com slash York Hospital Radio. But for now, here is episode five with Rodney Rowe. Thanks, Rodney, for joining us. Just short of 100 games, I think, for York City, which we'll get on to in due course. But born in yeah. Huddersfield, started your career at your hometown club. So I always sort of thought that you were a town fan growing up, but I've recently discovered that Arsenal are a team. So I wondered who, you, who your heroes were growing up. To be honest, I would having a conversation with quite a lot of pupils at the school I work at, Raymond Junior School. And I wasn't actually a town fan. I think I went to maybe two or three games growing up and everything. But a lot of that was for my mum. Obviously, when she arrived into the country at a young age, um, there was a lot of abuse towards black people, people of colour. And she won't allow me to go to any of the matches. I think my first match I actually went to a time match was um, with my junior school teacher. Took the football team to go. I went down and obviously I was playing for town and all the rest of it, you know. So I never, never had that real connection with Huddersfield. Obviously, once you got involved, went for the system and everything, all that stuff, you know, I became more involved with the club in that in that sense of that kind of affection. My heroes growing up and obviously in general, I've said Arsenal's been my team, but like I said, Ian Wright was also my favourite striker, 100%. People like John Barnes in their prime those kind of flair players. So it was always like Ian Wright and John Barnes, possibly, you know, growing up. And like I said, before you started your, your career at Huddersfield Town in the youth setup, and I, I'm always like fascinated by people who were in the old sort of YTS games. I mean, yeah. what, what was that like? Because, you know, sort of cleaning the boots and having those sort of little jobs, something that football's moved away from. And I think there's sort of yeah. probably pros and cons of that. And I just wondered what you thought about that. Is, is it for the better, the way that the youth teams are now? I disagree with people going through that system now and not doing those sort of jobs. I think it keeps you grounded. I know some pros could or would take advantage when I'd say when I was going through the system, it was brutal, spoken to like, like you were a piece of dirt. It was just kind of like that mental toughness and how you reacted to it, you know, I mean, and not a lot of people could deal with it, in, in my opinion. Like I say, I, I would sit here and say right now that I had an easy path going through the system. It was, it was tough. You know, I found it really, really difficult and sometimes being unsure whether if you're actually good enough to go for that system. But I think right now, I think making sure that these young boys coming through are treated respectfully at all times which I think that's important just so that they're able to actually still go out and enjoy the football and listen to the coaches you know and listen to ex- experienced players but definitely it's something that they should bring back 
I think. Do you think it sort of stood you in good stead almost that kind of harsh environment in terms of, you know, you've been playing in front of crowds yeah. a few years later and, you know, we all know what it's like, people shouting stuff from the terraces. Did that almost mm. sort of toughen you up? Like I say, I mean, it's that journey, you know, you go from playing the youth team, youth team to playing to the reserve team, reserve team to get to the first team. There's still a pathway, which again, you go from, say, 50 people watching you, 200 people watching you, thousands watching you. But you see that progression, you see the physicality of how each development goes so you know you've got to work out how to improve your fitness to be stronger playing with more experienced players watching what they do it was good to see that kind of development but also you'd always look back at the ones coming through the system as well and sometimes recognize what they're doing wrong and kind of guide them because you know because you've, you've been through that system so you kind of know what it's like and what this should be doing and what they shouldn't be doing so it's always good to kind of give feedback as well to those going through the system so like I said I believe the fact that if it wasn't for my progression through the youth team and like the coaches and I don't think my career w- would have gone on in the manner that it was Was there any particular coach at Huddersfield Town that you think really brought you on or kind yeah. of made a real big difference to your career sort of early on? Without a doubt George Malone absolutely as tough as it came but he always want you to play football as honest as, as can be he had a good game he'd let you know if you were poor didn't care and he always wanted you to play a good style of football you had to put the hard work in I kind of and I got it he was always honest I remember him telling me one time that a coach would, was literally telling him why have you signed him and why have you given him an apprenticeship he's going to be useless and then at the same time he'd see me and then he'd be like oh Ron I knew you'd make it you're brilliant you're fa- you know you're fantastic we always knew you had, had it in you and George would just say to me like you know just be careful because there's people out there that will literally lie to your face, but at the same time, slag you off behind your back and everything. So I always took that, took that on board. And I remember him coming to, he actually came to a game actually when I was at York. <laughs> and I spoke to him after the game and his first words were, you missed a sitter. Why did you miss a sitter for? And I thought, I just felt like being like, like the, the apprentice all over again. And I, I, it was just crazy. Just, I think just the fact that you came to watch and, and having, the, having that conversation, it's, it's still that respect between a coach and a player because he had the respect and he brought through a lot of players through that system. So it did work. So no longer with us, but without him, massive, massive respect. Massive. You signed pro in 1993 and had a, had a great week in November. I was sort of trying to work out, I was texting yeah. yesterday, wasn't that sort of saying, when, when you first scored, I think it was against Cambridge. And then the weekend afterwards, you scored away at uh, Telford in the FA Cup, which I, I managed to track down on YouTube. What, what's your right. sort of memories of that first season at Huddersfield? Because it must have been, you know, you sort of burst onto the scene there really, didn't you? Yeah, Warner came into the club. I did start doing the first preseason because I was injured. And then the club was changing, you know, things were going on. There was the move, obviously, going into players. Jobs were getting cut. It wasn't a good place for the club at the time. And when one came in, they wanted to try me out as a winger. Because, you know, they, you know, like, you know, we need a bit of pace. Mm-hmm. Wanted to try it on a wing and on that. And I was very reluctant, to be honest, but I was kind of like, I'll just give it a go. So when I got the opportunity, it was really good. I mean, the first goal at Cambridge was a header. Very rare for me. Very, very rare. That was kind of good because there was, there was me, Andy Booth, and I think it was Simon Collins that played up front in that sense. You know, we were all for the academy, wearing the blue and white, you know, which again was brilliant. My mum actually, that, that was my mum's first game. She'd never seen me play football ever. You know, even from growing up and everything, she'd never seen me play football ever. And we were just speaking the other day and she just said basically that she just remembers running home, couldn't wait to get home, being so proud, mm-hmm. just knowing the fact her son had scored and was playing for town somewhere where she, she wouldn't go. She wouldn't go to a football ground at all. And as, as for my FA Cup goal, I think I got lucky scoring quite a lot of goals in the FA Cups throughout my career. And that's why I love the competition. I love that competition so much. 
I, I, I really do. And I was so pleased, but I missed their chance near the end. And one of the elder players had a rather right go at me because I didn't square the ball, which I know I should have done. But I suppose you just think, you see all these match at days and, and I thought, I'm sure I'm going to be at match at days. Sure. Like, you know, I, I think I got a bit caught up in it. Yeah, it was just that. So I always enjoyed playing in the FA Cups. I, I, it was it, it was one of the best things. And I think, like I say, it doesn't matter on the day what team you're playing. You know, you like say, you play a top team, Man United, Chelsea. Every team has a chance of winning that game. It's just about, if it's your day, it's your day. I'm going yeah. to rearrange a question here because this was going to be two questions time. But oh, yeah. I imagine one of the highlights of your time at Huddersfield was the FA Cup and the, um, the opener you got against Wimbledon um, yeah. in the fifth round of the FA Cup in front of 17,000 fans. Yeah. And I mean, it was a, it was a, Typical Rodney Rowe goal for me. You sort of spun off the last yeah. defender, which was Chris Perry, who went on to play for Spurs. Perry, yeah. And an instinctive yeah. sort of finish. I mean, that, that must be what a real highlight of your career. I mean, it, it looked great watching it on YouTube, like the atmosphere yeah. and everything. Yeah. To be honest, I mean, I was, I remember before the game and one of my, I don't know, passed away, uh, Richard, he used to work at the club in a capacity. And I came to him before the game and I said, look, just be ready for my celebration. Just be ready. He looked at me out. I went, I went, he went you're going to score. I, went, I said, I'm telling you, I'm going to, I said to him, I'm going to score today, but just watch out for the celebration. He went, right, definitely. I said, okay, no worries. Some of them players, you know, if you wait for the team and all. But I just felt comfortable on that day. Didn't feel any pressure. I just felt, just go out there and just go out and enjoy it. And I remembered scoring. So the plan was, was I was going to dive into the crowd. Just dive in. Didn't care how, just dive into the crowd. But at the stadium, obviously, there's a bit of a gap. So all the fans came running forward towards the barrier. So I'm setting off and I'm thinking, if I jump in now and they don't catch me, I'm going to get smashed my face into, into some seats. So I put the brakes on as I got close. <laughs> and after the game, he went to me. So was that it? And I went, I went, oh, I'll just buy you a drink. So when I explained it to him, he just burst out laughing. Yeah, it's a real shame. Like I say, we, we, we almost hung in there. But when we played the replay, Vinnie Jones made his return back and everything. They were just beasts. We had that one opportunity and it wasn't for us, but I'll never forget that game. It's there. Listeners listening in who don't really know what 90s football was like. Wimbledon back then were a, a top Premier League side. They weren't particularly well yeah. supported. I mean, I noticed in the replay, there was only 7,000 fans there compared to the 17,000 at Huddersfield. Mm. But they were a top side, weren't they? Like Oyenvid, Leonardson yeah. was playing, wasn't he? And Nakoku yeah. got a couple of goals. He was a really good player at that yeah. level. Yeah. I mean, they I were mean, a top side, weren't they? I mean, they were very direct when they were at wide, crossing the box from the back. Defenders on the day, I can't remember who played in, in the... Uh, in, I know Tom Cowan was left back. Maybe Steve Jenkins and I believe Sinnott was still there at the time. But they did a lot of work. They were persistent. And that's just how they played at the time. So physically, you had to match them because they were on you no matter what. They never give you time. It was 100 miles an hour every minute. So you, so you got to prepare yourself you know, mentally to be able to cope with what, what they're throwing. And I think we did a good job. I think I think as a team, I think we did a really good job. But again, like I say, experienced Premier League side. For us to, to compete at that level with the club that we, we were at the time, we could not give much more. I'd like to think that the fans at the time enjoyed the game. Shame about the result, but I think the game in itself was more than worthy. I'm just thinking if you had done that celebration, I'm going to have to go, go and watch it back. So honestly, you put, honestly. put the brakes on. I mean, you would have been guaranteed to be on match of a day, wouldn't you? Oh, I, I promise you. Honestly, I, I just saw flashbacks of me being on TV or being subbed with a, with a bus nose or some, you know what I mean? Just been a question of sport, you know, one of us. Yeah, what happens next? next? <laughs> <laughs> I'll be honest, I'll be on everyone's highlight reel, wouldn't I? 
on a gif or something laughing. I'm like, oh no. At least, like I said, it just common sense just kicked in. And I thought, don't do that. Bring back safe standing. That'd have been okay. Yeah. You mentioned Neil Warnock there slightly before. What was he like to play for? Because obviously, he's such a character, isn't he? I wonder what he was like for you as a young player as well coming through the system. Gave him my debut. Massive respect for that. If you ran through a brick wall for him, then you were fine. That's all he's happy for. He likes people who are aggressive. He likes people. He's not bothered about ability-wise. I think just more the fact that he gets his team's promotions. No one can doubt him for that. He'll always buy those certain type of players. He brought players in sometimes and it was like, who, why? But it was about getting the squad right. It was about getting, making sure that everyone was on the same page, which was getting promotion, winning games. The coach at that time, obviously, yeah, Clement Backwell, as his coach, our physio, young Dave. I mean, I don't think the treatment room was empty because if you were to go see Dave, then you, it wasn't good. He was a very old school army man, lovely guy, him and his wife, bless him. But he just didn't. Fridays were, were always good because it was always a case of shin pads on. We would call it docker soccer, but the tackles, I mean, how we, we had a team on a Saturday, no idea. It was just savage. You know what I mean? And you just try to kind of like make sure you weren't on the receiving end of Darren Bullock tackle or Richard Logan. Just that sort of attitude that he would give to the team to be ready for the games on a Saturday. And also he he'd invented um, a sherry and egg drink on a Friday. Oh, he just came up with things, just things like that. Was it, that like it, a superstition thing then, that sherry and no, egg? And, and it, maybe it, it, maybe it was, you won after drinking it and therefore he kept it going or something like that? No, it, it was literally as random as it as it, as it, as it can be. It wasn't because the results were, were being bad or players' actions weren't, weren't right. It was just a random thing. And some people thought of a raw egg going down the throat. There were some faces, but you just did it, got on with it, and just knew one that's thinking of helping the team. You spent time out on loan at Bury and Scarborough. I just wonder what, what is it like sort of going out on loan as opposed to making a permanent move somewhere? Is, is there any differences when you go there? I mean, I presume at that time you were going there for experience with the view to coming back and breaking into Huddersfield yeah. side. Going to Scarborough, I mean, I was 18 at the time. Never lived away from home. I was in a and b traveling back and forth on a weekend on the train. Stayed with a wonderful family. Just recently got in touch on Facebook and a friendship and everything, but they were flying at the time. I wasn't getting much game um, at the time. Went to play more regular. So I was playing it week in, week out. Scarborough wanted to sign me, but I knew at the time it was more than understanding. I was just going to get games because obviously at the time I wasn't going to be involved. Came back, spoke with the coaches. I said, look, I'm not sure why this has been made because obviously I have no intention of leaving. Warner gave me a bashing in the office at training I was like you know what is going on here but I stuck with it my choice and then going to Bury that was a again a strange one a month there or three months I'm not, not quite sure but they ended up getting promoted that year so I kind of regretted it a little bit to see them at the end of the season get promoted you think could have been part of that you know, but at the same time town had gone up as well so you just appreciate exactly where you're at sometimes I know it's everyone's dream right now to be playing the Premier League earning vast amount of money and all that kind of stuff but I think the size of Huddersfield and again don't think people generally do realise it every um, club has demanding fans every club and I think sometimes people would find it difficult to actually comprehend that when they do sign for town that the expectations are not just there just to raise up the crowds expect more and a lot of players couldn't handle that a lot of managers couldn't handle that so for me personally being a, um, a local person playing for my hometown club to wear the blue and white shirt I think I did my best but I, I'm always appreciative of the fans regardless I think that's the difference where you've got to make sure that you've got to look at your surroundings and make the best of it because you don't know when it's going to be when it's going to be taken away going to Scarborough a training ground that's 
not of the same, of the same quality training on just w- w- in a wherever was available I was look back now and think I, w- I was one of the lucky ones yeah you signed for York City in February 1997 for £80,000 was that you sort of making that decision to you know play regular football basically you were a little bit older then weren't you and yeah, yeah. you kind of had those loan spells you'd gone back to Huddersfield mm. Not quite had that that regular run that you wanted. Was that you kind of making that breakaway, or was that decision taken out of your hands? It with was, uh, it was um, Brian Horton at the time. I'd done really well, but at the time the results weren't going going well for us at all. So he was under a lot of pressure. Max Stewart was in and out injured. He had a freak injury that just kept reoccurring. You know, breaking down. So it just wasn't going for us at all. I think our ship broke down a little bit as well. Me. Brian Orton's and again it was that's just how it is you know it was it was fine and all that stuff and then I'd played a reserve game at Bradford the night before and Scott I scored two goals or something like that but uh, Alan Little was going to watch a different player so when they saw me play, they made an inquiry. The following morning, I had a meeting with York City, discuss about signing. I was still unsure, to be honest. I just wasn't sure as to where I was. Do you know what I mean? Mm. At the club. I just said, I want a few more days to think about it. Brian Norton wasn't happy about it. I was kind of like, well, it's my decision. So he wasn't best pleased that, that, that they didn't immediately just go. So then at the Saturday, I came over to watch a home game, met up with um, Steve Tuttle. You know, he had a conversation with me and everything. So that's why I always remember, like, when speaking to someone like Steve Tuttle, who possibly optimises everything about York City, fantastic lad, hard as nails, but really got a lot of respect for him. It was more that reason for me signing for the club. Just having that conversation was enough for me to decide to go. So sometimes you do have to leave your hometown club, earn more money, get more playing time. It worked out in the end um, for both parties. Absolutely. I mean, I, I just wondered, it sounds like Steve Tuttle was the biggest influence there, but did you mm. ever speak to Ian Dunks? I know obviously you played together at Huddersfield and he'd started his career at York and I know that you, you two are good friends. I mean, to be fair, I, I never discussed the move with Dunne. A handful of people knew knew about it and all. But at the time, I, I just thought, well, why not? For me, personally, going through the system and all, from my town, Paul Barnes, John McCarthy, Nigel Pepper, Gina. Bless him. Andy Mack. These players, like whenever the, the, those town York games, you were talking two quality football teams and anybody who did go watch those games, it was tough. But the players on the field probably served up better quality than what you probably see now from other teams because there were two, I think they were brought up the right way playing football. Typical 4-4-2, just pretty simple. But, and you think to yourself, well, I'm going from a footballing culture to another club in York City in the exact same way. It was an, an easy transition working with the players in in that sense. So yeah, it was it, it was good. It was good. It was it was good. So it was a good move. Well what what was good was your debut. I mean it was pretty special as most Tuesday night games at Booth and Crescent that they always you know brought out the best in the fans as well. It was against Preston He's got a brilliant chip, which is probably in my top 10 all-time York City goal. That's <laughs> a 3-1 yeah. win. I mean, I was looking back at it and I was sort of trying to put into context that this is your debut. You kind of played through. I mean, most strikers would just smash that as hard as they could. But you sort yeah. of just had the the idea to chip. Ch- were you kind of considering that as it was coming across? Like, I know what I'm going to do. Or was it just um, an instinctive sort of thing for you to do? No, to be honest, it's I'd, I'd watch a lot of Ian Wright videos. You know, watch his goals and little things, interviews, seeing it, you know, it was saying, I, I knew I was going to chip it before it even got to me. I'd already, I'd already got it in my mind. I'm, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to go for this no matter what. So then she can all that um, with Bobby Mims, obviously, who came on board and everything. And it was, it was him, but I'd always keep reminding him about the goal, which he wasn't, he wasn't best pleased with, but Gary Bull, different class. 
Yeah, great layoff. You know, you know, I mean, he, he'd always recognised my runs. He always knew, and it, 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 we didn't even speak, to be fair. It was just a case of, yeah, I know it's coming. And a great little flick. And I just knew straight away where it had to go. And I, I'd like to think that the fans who were on that day, or if you haven't seen it or whatever, then I think it, I think you'd enjoy that finish. From any standard, you know, I think everybody would enjoy that sort of kind of finish. Was that the best goal you ever scored from a technical point of view? It's one of them. I remembered I was on loan in Scarborough away at Carlisle. I might have been Halifax. And I can't find it on the internet. So just kind of sum it up. Hopefully someone from Carlisle can find the goal. Tweet out, Rodney. We'll get this found. Yeah, I'm going to say, yeah. I mean, I mean <laughs> the thing is, though, I mean, the only reason why I like the goal so much was I'd got the throw in on the right-hand side and I'd fake cross it in. But as I checked back on my right foot, as I dragged it back and smashed it in, there's just a line of Carlisle players, four or five or six players, all staggering the line. And I just end up smashing it to the roof of the goal. Just seeing that alone, just seeing that, you know, that those players all being sold mm. by my trick and then end up in the goal. For me, it was like, that's as good as it's going to get. It was just clean. It was, it was so sweet. It was like, yeah, that'll do. If I could find it, I'd say fair enough, but I just can't find it. So someone find it, please. Yeah, we'll put the play out. When I spoke to Richard Creswell a couple of years ago in one of the early series of the podcast, he, he said that the pressure to play up front for York City was quite big in a sort of post-Paul Barnes era. And and I think yeah. looking back, Gary Bull and Neil Tolson probably found that yeah. difficult at times. It, was that something that, that you kind of was aware of when you signed for York City? To be honest, I didn't even care. And I don't mean that disrespectfully. I just wanted to go out there and do my best. I mean, you, you, you might know more than me. I think I went on like a 11 game, 12 game scoring run. Was that, about, does that sound about right? I'll come on to that in a bit, yeah. All oh, right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and yeah, sorry. So I didn't know anything about it. Didn't have a clue. Enjoy my football, enjoy my football. I'm sure I missed the sitter. I'm sure I did. Possibly I missed the sitter. And I was, and I was fuming because I thought I should have scored that and everything. And I, I can't remember what the result was. And after the game, someone goes, oh, Rodney, you were on course to beating the, the, the record that's been stood for however long. Oh, so it wasn't that a sitter where your old coach came back and told you about it, was it? <laughs> no, oh, definitely. It, was, it wasn't that, believe me. It wasn't that, definitely. But I remember one of the ladies in the club shop or Bovin Crescent or speaking to her. And I think it, it kind of resonated more for me about playing for York City. She mentioned that I was the first black player since Keith Walden signed for the club. But I never thought of it in that manner. Prior to signing, colour didn't really come into my mind about York City. It was more about the football. Then I thought to myself, right, I've made a mistake. Is that going to be a hindrance? Are the fans going to come at me because of my colour? Or there's been such a, a big gap. But then I looked on his history, Keith Walden's history, and I, and, I, and I knew how much of a massive fan favourite he was for that club. Once I'd done that, I looked in that way, I was kind of like, well, you know what? All I can do is be me. And all I can do is give my best. And hopefully that is enough for the fans. It did get messy, me leaving, but that's just how it was. But I'd like to think when I did put the shirt on, at least I um, I always gave my own. Whether I played well or played poorly, I was first and foremost would always give my all. After Preston, I think York only won three times again that season. The last being the win at Rotherham, second to last game of the season to keep us in the, the second division. You scored one of the goals that uh, day in front of your away fans and, and I think the fans took to you almost straight away. You know, there was a, I remember yeah. the Rodney Rowe chant being sort of sung quite early doors at, at yeah. Crescent. I mean, it looked like you really enjoyed your time, that early time at the club as well. Yeah. So like you yeah. really seemed to have a good connection with the fans. 100%. I mean, that was tough. Going to Rotherham, I was thinking I don't want to be having that feeling 
feeling of being relegated. I, I don't, I, I didn't want it. The support on that day was, was brilliant. It really was. A bit of rain and everything, but it was brilliant. And I just remember, I, all I could just think of, I thought, I, I didn't want to overthink it, scoring the goal. I just didn't want to overthink it. And I just smashed it. I didn't care. It wasn't even about technique. It was just literally, I am going to put everything through this ball and to celebrate with oh it was just brilliant I'm surprised the fans didn't invade the pitches but I couldn't have blamed them I couldn't have wronged them that was massive for us it was massive for the players on that day like I said we played well that day we could have scored a hell of a lot more goals but yeah. the important thing was was that we won the game and that's all that mattered it didn't matter how we won it we just had to win I was doing an interview for radio at the end of the game and didn't realise that the coach actually left me so <laughs> I I, uh, yeah, honestly Honestly, and I thought that summed the day up. Luckily, passed on the cliff. He was still, he was still on the ground, and he ended up driving me part way to meet where the coach was and everything. I just everyone just burst out laughing. I just thought that's just the one black guy in your team, and you just leave leave, leave him at Rotherham. It's like, what's going on, lads? <laughs> like, did no one even to think? So, it, yeah, I say we had we, a laugh about it. So, it, it was all good. The following season, you were absolutely flying at the beginning of about, about 97, 98 season. Some incredible mm-hmm. stats. I got down here, nine goals in 15 league games, 13 goals in 19 games in all competitions. I mean, it was a real purple patch, wasn't it? I mean, was that spell the best sort of spell you had of your career in terms of goal scoring? Yeah, definitely. And I always look back, we couldn't compete with the other clubs. I believe if the club had the, the financial muscle to bring in three or four players into the club, I think we'd have pushed on. You know, we were, we were a very young team, you know, all considering players who came for the system we're getting opportunities to play as well. So for us to be at that level, for me, I was just buzzing the fact that we were just competing against these guys and playing good football, playing very good football and everyone really digging in. Like I said, I just think that we were just short of some more experienced players or just a fresh face, in, you know, in the club just to give us that bit of a lift, give us that second wind and to push on. But yeah, it was a real shame that year. It was a real shame because we had, we had a great start and Alan Little just continued playing, enjoying his football, keeping it very basic, you know, nothing overcomplicated. Training was brilliant. And yeah, it was a shame how it went. With that goal scoring sort of spree that you had there, do you feel different when you're going through that? Is it just sort of like everything you hit goes in? Is it? Is it? I, I <clears throat> literally not thinking it's just sort of happening for you or what, what's the process like when you're in that I never really thought about it in that sense really I always want to start as every player does so mm. you want to get minutes on the pitch but I felt comfortable no matter what I just knew that defenders you know I, I just knew going to the pitch knowing that you've got no chance today no matter what you're going to do there's absolutely no way that you, that, you, that you can handle me today and I always tried to put the work in early at least rather than about the goals but when I got the goal obviously you know, when I would get the goals and everything I was, you know that was a good feeling but I always wanted to make sure that I was putting the work in for, for the players for yeah. the manager for the fans there were some standout games for me that season as well like you scored the opening goal in, in a game against Carl United where we won 4-3 but we were 3-1 down with 12 minutes to go I just wouldn't know if you remembered that game and I don't remember that one I don't remember it was incredible oh. I, think, I think Steve Bushell scored in the last minute the Southport won in the FA Cup which was I watched that about yesterday yes. it was like a battlefield yes. wasn't it literally yeah. so I think Southport um, had two players sent off in the first half an hour yeah I think the coach at York City he played in that game Game, centre half, love that game because those non-league teams. I mean, there some vicious tackles going in on that day. And, uh, I mean, it was it was just ridiculous, and it really was. And it could have kicked off for the players one hundred percent. It could have kicked off for anything, but we kept his composure. But I just remember, which really annoyed me more, because. I'd scored with my left foot one that I bent in with my left foot, and the keeper thought I was mugging him off. So 
I was getting abused left, right, and centre from the, from from the South Park fans. I mean, it was vile. It was just it was just nasty. So when I scored, I'd cut my ears to the crowd to say, like, is that the best you've got? The goalkeeper then ran towards me, took the, the ball, Alan Power intervened. But he thought I was mocking him as a goalkeeper. So then the stewards or the police at the time came and spoke to the coaches, Alan Little Navy at the time, during the game, second half, and said, look, you're going to need to take off your striker because it's, it's going to get nasty. So... Obviously, I most of the game was won, so I got brought off. I didn't know that was the reason at the time until I got told when I got subbed off, and I went, but why take me off? When I was getting abused, nobody um, intervened mm. to, to get them out of the ground. Why should I come off just to please these idiots? And then, obviously, at the end of the match, I remember a fan ran onto the pitch to try and assault the referee, and I, and I thought, it, that's not right. But yeah, I, I, I scored two in that game. I was going to say, I, I bet you were annoyed that you got brought off when you were on two goals as well. And that was the thing, it was more like, that's why I want to stay on. I could have got a hat-trick, but good game. I mean, I'm not I, sure what the fan was moaning to referee about. I mean, the one that Paul Stevenson got tackled with, oh, literally about honestly, six studs, wasn't it, near, near his, uh, me, it, past it, his knee? It was bad. I mean, the very first minute I kicked off, I literally just was facing our goal. And next thing you know, I've got six studs going down, down, down my calf, down my ankle, off the ball. I could have reacted, but 99% sure that I'd have been sent off within the first minute, which was useless and everything. But it was just more like... Well, if we're going to go down that route, then that's fine. But I am going to score today. My first goal, Gary Bull again with the through ball. I already knew I knew I was going to score. It didn't matter. I just knew I was going to score. Slotted it past the keeper. Was sweet and in front of our fans as well. If you remember, mm, yeah, you know, you know, it packed out as well. So yeah, but my left foot strike being my weakest foot as well. I thought I'll take that. Another game as well, a two-one win over Gillingham, a team that you went later on to play for. Again, again, yeah. you scored one of the goals, and the other player who got the winner that day was a young lad called Jonathan Greening. I just wondered how, how good was he when he was at York City and, and did you kind of know that he was going to go right to the top? He was good. John's a boy. Believe it or not, when I was alone at Scarborough, John Hoy would come in and train with the first team where he was obviously still at school, but he'd come in and, tra- and train with him at the club. But I didn't remember him until he told me and I was so proud for him when he went to Man United. I was so pleased for him. He actually he actually phoned me after their Champions League win and the parade in Manchester and all that I remember him calling me just say basically he was going up to the cliff at Scarborough and his car was getting driven driven over at sea and he was getting himself a new car and I'm like you know what that is just perfect but I mean John O some of the things that he would do with that ball it was just ridiculous you know him and Creze just mocking you just you'd be like oh god here we go we had um, Martin Garrett again god bless him you know and he you know he could ball so I always like seeing the younger ones come through Knowing like, well, you know, I've been there we, and I want you to experience minutes as well. And I think in general, I think, I think in all honesty, it, it worked for him. You know, one of the best coaches in the, in the, at the time, Alex Ferguson, players at the time at Man United, to be getting in there, playing regular, good on him. And, and, and what an honest lad. I mean, he likes Bee Gees, but uh, I, I, I still don't get that. We, we still have the same conversation. I just don't get the Bee Gees thing. I don't get it. But what a, what a top lad, respectful as well. I mean, York came 16th and you mentioned this before about how it was a shame they didn't kick on. And look at the players from that time, like Paul Stevenson, Mark Tinkler was a great player as well. Alan Powton was unpredictable, but brilliant. Uh, Tony Barris. I mean, did that team sort of underachieving or do you think it was just that they were just lacking that extra two or three players to... Yeah, to be honest, that was us to our maximum. You got to remember, like I say, we were a young side. You know, if you look at the players that, 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 that was coming to the team, they were all young lads, but they all came for the system. You know, a lot of lads came for the system to play for the club. And like you say, Alan Patton on his day, class, Tinks, 
class and the mark consistent. Tony Barris, again, a giant in defence. It was us just not having, we just needed some extra a spark, you know, someone to maybe just lift the team, you know, that's you know, signing, you know, just a sign and just a name, you know, just something, you know, just to give us that lift to maybe help us push on. But it wasn't for the lack of trying, you know, for the, yeah. from the players, you know, just, just going to a game and just going for the motions. That's one thing no one definitely, you know, we, we definitely didn't do that. People might, might, may not think it in that way, but like Steve Bushell, very underrated, but I'd want him in my team because when things would kick off, you know, he was the first one there, even even for his little small size. Brilliant lad. He'd always want the ball, wouldn't he, Steve Bushell? He'd never go high. Always want the ball. Always Scotty Jordans. You know, Tinks, we, you know, we were very strong in there. To get a place was, if you were in, you know, you were real lucky. I remember I was competing with Gary Bull, Neil Tolson, Crazy, Jono. So we had quite a lot at that time. So, yeah, really enjoyable to grace that field with, with those players. I've heard you say before on, on another podcast that Alan Little was probably the best manager you ever played for. I just wondered, you know, what was it about him that made him stand out for you? Because I think it's a massive compliment when you when I consider that you played for the likes of Neil Warnock, Brian Horton, yeah. Peter Taylor, who, who managed yeah. him before, Alan's brother, yeah. Brian, as well. I mean, what yeah. was it about Alan that, that you really liked? Do you know what? He was honest. Never slated me. Got red cards. Never find me. Put into the players' pot, but... It was all they wanted to keep calling me Rodders. I didn't like it. I didn't like it. He kept calling me Rodders and I was like, I don't like being called Rodders. But he'd say it with a little smile and I'd be like, I can't argue with that. But he always backed me. Even when things went wrong, obviously when I got arrested over in New York for that incident, never, never, ever put me aside and dismissed from a team or whatever. Just kept everything as normal. Never cared. Even when he was at South End, he wanted me to go there because I'd quite a few players went to South End with him as well. He didn't want me to go on loan there as well and I said that's and to be honest it was more the fact that because we got into the championship with Gillingham I didn't want to go back mm. to that level but I do regret it to a point now because of the lads who were there we were playing for the manager and I knew had I gone there I might have just got that that's second win you know, you know playing with guys that, that I know I'm playing with playing for a manager again who respects me regardless and I do remember the fact that that's the one regret I did I did have I should have gone with him he gave me an opportunity which may not have happened had it not been at Bradford on that day so yeah people say about management and coaches I've been blessed enough to work with some unbelievable managers and coaches but going to Gillingham and working with I mean it was a no-brainer for me an ex-England under-21 manager was signed me it was like I'm off. It wasn't even, well, what should we do? I was going, you know, learned so much working with him. You know, it was, it was a, a dream. And then working with Brian Little, Premier League manager, no brainer. I'm going to go. And again, another very similar to his, to his brother. And I felt comfortable and I was fine with him. Mm. So, I, so I felt at ease with these type of coaches and these type of people and just gaining little bits of knowledge in different ways of improve you. I kind of use now, you know, in my, in my own coaching status now to take little things and little ideas that I was given to give give back to, to, to my players. Because Alan used to kick lumps out of players as well, didn't he, on a five-a-side on a Friday? <laughs> and, so did, and so did Brian. Honestly, I wouldn't like to think what they were like growing up, so they must have been kicking the hell out of each other. They must have done. Two footers, the lot, it was like, whoa, what is going on here? 
But it was harmless, though. I mean, like I say, you, you just laughed it off. Like, it was like no big deal. But loved every minute working with Alan Little. Loved it. It was easy coming to training every day in, in his capacity and then playing for him. It was just easy. Loved it. You mentioned before there about, about the sort of off-field stuff. And obviously, you don't need to discuss that if you're not comfortable with That's it. Fine. But I wonder, did, did that affect your game for that second part of the season? I, yeah. I look back at a, a news article, and I remember you sort of saying yeah. at the time that it didn't. But I wondered whether hindsight because back then you know I didn't realize you were only sort of 22 at that time it must have been a lot to mm. deal with with the sort of uncertainty mm. of things going on when you look back on it now do you, do you sort of think oh, that, that oh. probably did affect my, my on field because I mean obviously yeah, was, you were scoring so many goals weren't you yeah it was awful to, to be honest I think what, what made me worry more is the fact that witnesses had come forward with these ridiculous stories ridiculous recount of actually what happened dragged punched kicking all these things and I'm like you're making out like I've literally done these things and I know I didn't so that was always the back of my mind my mum obviously wasn't best pleased we didn't speak for weeks because she was was so gutted it's come out in the papers and all the rest of it so I'd lost a little bit of my focus in football because I was more concerned of if these people are going to use lies which is going to have an impact on me so there was that then my dad was really ill at the time which again had another another effect so he was in Sheffield at the time there were visits as and when when we could and then you know we got told that the family needed to go to the hospital because it could be the last time we'll probably see him luckily right now he's still still with us but there was all that really I just didn't know how to kind of cope with that in, in a sense I just went to training came home played games and, and that was it really didn't speak to anybody about it at the club as a whole I, I don't mean any disrespect towards anybody in the club no. I mean I, I mean that is in general like if somebody asked me then I'd tell them if somebody didn't ask me then you know it was fine if it wasn't for Andy Mack give, to give you a statement it could have turned the other way and daft thing 100% what I did disrespectful wrong and I wish on nobody nobody's child regardless not just become a footballer in general, just the fact that it shouldn't have happened, end the story. But you learn from it, not anything death is that ever. I had no intentions of doing that. So it did have an impact. And at the time I was I was I was enjoying playing football. Nothing mattered. And the off-field things, which people sometimes just, just don't know about, obviously. Looking back now, I wish I'd have used or spoken to somebody to deal with it day in, day out, having that bit of support. Yeah. I, I guess yeah. in society back then as well, it was different, wasn't it? That people didn't oh, gosh, talk yeah. about things that were bothering them. And also, you know, as a footballer, I imagine that you're a long time with your thoughts, aren't you? Because you train in the morning and yeah. then I, I'd imagine the rest of the day is your own. So if you, yeah. and if you you mentioned there about the impact it had on your mum and, and I can tell that your mum's a big influence on you from what you said oh, earlier on yeah. about your career, that, that must have been really hurting you as well. It came to a, a home match. I, I, I don't know if you remember this one, when I came off the bench, and then got sent off maybe five or six minutes. Uriah Rennie was the referee at the time. And right. by the way, bless him, I, I, I thought he was a top referee. He was a, a top raw, referee, yeah. I mean, I think he got a raw deal by those around him. And obviously, I think he quit, didn't he? I think so, I think, yeah, yeah. I think he did quit yeah, earlier. I think, I think he quit, didn't he? But my mum came over with my other family members, my cousin, Chris Biller, he was playing at the time as well for Plymouth. I just remember coming on and saying, you do know I'm going to score, so just, just be ready. So a bit of banter with him. And I just remember the linesman had given a throw in to them. They clearly kicked the ball out. And I was just that hyped up. I was just hyped up. I thought, right, I'm finally on the pitch. Mum's in the crowd. I think that's my cousin, Chris, but I've got to score. I was just overly hyped in that sense. I was just trying to do really well. And I gave the linesman some verbals 
not proud of to speak to officials in that manner. And, you know, I remember his words at Rodney, you've said what you've said, but whatever I give you right now, accept it, we'll move on. So I just presumed it's going to be a yellow card. I thought, yeah, yeah, yellow card. And when I saw the red card, I thought, <laughs> I was like, oh, I'm going to kill you now, Uriah. You've just set me off. And my mum's in the crowd. That's not a good thing for you to do right now. But I, I just remember after the game, she just wouldn't even speak to me. She just went, just, just, just get me a double brand and don't say a word. And then Uriah Rennie came into the game, right into the clubhouse after the game. And she went, she made a beeline for him. I said, no, you can't do that. I said, no. I said, no. She was like, I'm going to speak to him. And they spoke, to be fair. They, they, had a, they had a good 10, 15 minute conversation, just having a chat. So for me, that was that kind of, Help. The drive home wasn't great, but that's the kind of side with my mum. It was always good if she came to see me, but I never wanted my mum to worry or to be ridiculed or to hear me being abused or anything. You know what I mean? I just wanted her to know that she was okay. I, I always wanted to, to, to try and better my, my parents through football financially. I wanted to earn ridiculous amounts of money to be able to say to them, you know, you don't have to work and buy a new house. You know what I mean? I, I always wanted that for them. But I think my mum was more, more happy with the fact that I was being respectful both on and off the pitch in what I do and show even now my kids now, even showing them to be a better person. So I've instilled you know, sort of proper values, really. Yeah, of how she wanted us to be, to make sure that when we walk out of his door, there's no negativity coming towards myself or to the family. She doesn't like that. She's very, very protective as any parent probably is. So yeah, there was always that we had together. So that was kind of all right. The start of the 98-99 season was quite a tough one, I think, for you. Sort of on the pitch, you didn't score until Boxing Day when you got two in a 3-3 draw against Burnley. Was that just sort of, you've gone from that purple patch the previous season to, to a season where just nothing you're doing comes off and, yeah. and then the yeah. Burnley one, once you get one, you then get another. Is that just sort of yeah. typical how football works, really? Yeah, yeah. do you know what? So, and honestly, I mean, I'd look at like, say, Neil Torson, Gary Bull, just for examples. I didn't score many goals, respectfully, in that sense, but they would work hard and it wasn't that, I mean, I know that I, I, I thought that Gary Bull got a, got a raw deal from the fans, in my opinion, because he was very intelligent in his in his game quick thinking I remember the, the Burnley game Chris Brass I just remember just knowing the fact that I knew I could outmuscle him and when I, I remember when I got the first goal acknowledging the fans it was like that relief like finally and I knew they were supportive of me but I wasn't producing the goals and when I got that first one I just remember just pointing to the three sides Dave Long stand, just pointing to him and just to let him know that thank you for your support it's difficult because you are judged on goals. So to me, it was a worry. No matter what I did, it just wasn't working. But on that day, I was I was best player. I mean, we should, we should have won the bloody game, you know, which, which, which was annoying. I wish we'd have won the game. My friend, um, Wanda Jepson, obviously was involved with Burnley at the, at the time. Um, Stan Turner, who I knew from, from, from the Bury days. You know, you look at their team, you look at their, their players, just the quality of their players, you know, gets ours. That's what we were kind of dealing with. So to match them in that sort of sense, you know, that is what it was like week in, week out. That's a, a York memory that I'll, I'll never forget for that one, simply because I just wanted to, the fans to know that I am trying. But at the same time, I know that you've always given me that support. I never received that much negativity, I don't think, from the, from, from the, from the crowd. No. So I know I wanted to impress them with taking players on or scoring goals or you know you know you know in general so I always want to make sure that when they left yeah Rodney Rowe may not scored 
Just you remember what it is. Little things like that. Yeah. So I always wanted the crowd to know that I tried my best. You're still contributing to the team. I mean, I look at the game before the Burnley one. I think we that was the Man City home game where it was your yeah. layoff. It was a great yeah. assist for, for Andrew Dawson's yeah. last minute goal. So it wasn't yeah. like you weren't contributing. There were. I think you came on sub that day, but there were still things that you you could do for this team as well as you know score yeah. goals. You look at that side, that Man City side. You're not talking ten thousand. Talking like million pound players internationals I don't think there was a space left in their end was there from their crowd yeah. right but we battered them on that day we absolutely on that day we battered them there is I know it's a freak because I mean there's a video out in there about the day they lost when things turned around us about that even right and I think to myself I think you've been a bit disrespectful to us as a club at the time that's where you were you were in that position because for whatever reason but on that day we were two clubs competing in the same league Mm. And our football was way ahead of them that day. They just didn't see it coming. And funny enough, Doss scoring. Now he's living over in Australia and all that and everything. He, he didn't get many. Uh, like, lovely lad. I was, we, again, it was nice. Kid coming through the system, scoring against best currently now at team in England, you know, in Man City. But I think stuff like that, that this younger generation can kind of look at that and say, well, maybe that, that could be me. And if they could, or fingers crossed when they get back into the, into the football league club, because... I think the fans definitely deserve it. It's amazing to think that club was ninth in the table on January the 2nd after winning it, I think, Wickham away on New Year's Day and ended up getting relegated. I mean, Alan lost his job after a 4-2 defeat in Notts County. I remember that game, going to that game, and you scored a looping header, I think, after about a couple of minutes. And the players seemed really together that day. And I remember Martin Garrett as well signing our autographs before yeah. the game. And you spoke about Alan there. You must have been gutted as players to sort of see him lose his yeah. job for someone that you obviously all have such respect for. I knew there was a fans forum on the night with the manager and the chairman and or, or, or whatever it was and everything. Mm. And then obviously news came out that it had been sacked and I didn't like it personally. I thought it stunk. You know, we're not privy to conversations, bottom, you know, you know, in that sense. And then obviously Neil Thompson then took over it. It just stank to be fair. Bit of a stitch up, I think. I don't know. I, I, I just, did, I just did, I didn't, I didn't like, I didn't like the way it had gone about what Alan Little was giving to the club, continuing that process from managers in the past, good football, a small budget, but still able to compete and everything. The players never gave up on him. I know results weren't going greatly, but the players were still giving their all for the manager. I personally don't believe he should have got sacked and the appointment that they made clearly didn't work anyway. It came back to haunt us with, with the Man City thing, didn't it? Having to get a point on the last day oh. of the season there. I mean, for, which I was sort of looking back thinking you had a couple of chances in that game as well. Yeah. And it, it could have been mm. a career highlight for you, couldn't it? Playing in yeah. front of 32,000 people, if you'd oh. scored the goal that had kept us up or something like that, yeah, that yeah. would have probably gone down as up there with the Huddersfield thing. But it, it turned out yeah. to be a disaster there, didn't it? And yeah. York, I think it was about nine minutes to go. I think I, I heard a bloke with a, a radio attached to his ear saying that Wickham had scored. You know, that was what it was like back then. And yeah. it was just heartbreaking. What was it like for you as players that day? That was the first time I played at Man City. And I didn't realise that they trained off the pitch and then came to the game. So during the warm-up, I'm, I'm thinking like, right, is this some kind of a joke or what? Crowds building up and everything. And I'm like thinking, right, we need to be on this because... I think they're going to come full force for us. You know what I mean? And I mean, I could be wrong. I'd say the first 15, 20 minutes, we were more than up. We'd had enough chances to at least get one. But as soon as that first goal went in, that was it. It just all went downhill. And I was gutted for the crowd, for the fans. Absolutely devastated for those fans. And I thought it just didn't sit right back in the changing rooms. Also, the lads were gutted. It just hurt. Could have been any team going to Man City on that day. 
and they went on to achieve good things as well. So you could really fall for that, I suppose. Because that, that Notts County game where we lost 4-2, that, that was Richard Creswell's last game as well. Do you think losing him as well, just in a side that was already sort of falling down the table, was that almost like the killer blow, really, losing player who, who was a real star man, wasn't he? That's something mm. he played for England under the 21s as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Had the club have kept him, would, he, would his career have been different? The, the money at the time was good, you know, for the club. So obviously, to the, the offer. Crazy was flying at the time. So for me, it was, it was a no-brainer for the, for the young lad to go and get an opportunity, tested himself, playing at a higher level. Why not? I don't, I don't think anyone should, should be denied an opportunity in their careers, which again, may never happen again. But I think I was the top goal scorer at the time, I think, prior to Alan Little being sacked, just getting back into it, scoring and stuff. And to then get pulled at the training ground to say, you weren't going to be involved or you're not going to start, to me, just summed it up nobody else is scoring I'm scoring but I'm the one that get, gets dropped I had no respect for him anyway previously as a manager no respect for him and I got no respect for him as a person to be fair my contract was up but I could I could have obviously just gone Bosman ruling or whatever it was whatever nonsense it was but me and my partner were just buying a house Alan Boy got sacked and lads were obviously negotiating deals new contracts and everything and stuff and all that and I just remember him coming to me and saying why have you not been seeing the chairman about a new contract because you know you deserve it and I went alright because usually you'd think that the a club would come in and offer you a new deal and stuff. So I went to the chair, Ben, gave him, so look, this is what I think I'm, I'm worth. And he said, yeah, it's fine. Is that all done without an agent then? Was that you You just went I was, using the, P- I was, I was using the PFA. So I was so obviously I used the PFA to so look, tell me what I, I should be asking for. They were like, the age, well, you're going to be looking for that. Mm-hmm. So, so, so I gave it to the, to the chairman, never came back to me. And obviously I've got sacked, contraband down. So I didn't know what was going on at the time. I didn't know you know, end of the season and I knew being relegated and I needed a contract to show for the mortgage. You know, I had nothing to show that I was um, in employment. And if it wasn't for, for, for my kid at the time, I wouldn't have signed it. I wouldn't have signed the contract. If, if, if it wasn't for me, if it wasn't due to have proof to show that I was working and, you know, what I was earning and stuff and all that was mm. able to do that, I wouldn't have signed it. And this isn't against the club, nothing to do with the club, but I wouldn't have signed it. Because you started the first game of the next season, but I, I think that you were, you were kind of in and out after that and then eventually sort of fell out of flavour. And, and I remember going to Halifax away, by which time you'd signed on loan. And I remember vividly me and my uncle sort of saying, well, well, Rodney obviously can't play because he, you know, oh, he's contracted to oh, York. I meant to see you in the lineup yeah. for Halifax. I, I just couldn't get my head around it. So it was yeah. really strange for us as fans. How strange was it for you playing against your actual employers? It must have been mm. such a bizarre situation. I was pissed off. The lads, not a problem. The fact that it happened, it does not happen. But when I realised, and Matt Lillis texted me, oh, by the way, Rodney, is that you play today? And I'm like, what? Because I just generally just thought, well, I know I can't play, so it's like... Yeah. I wasn't even thinking about the game. I was just like, well, obviously I'll see a few lads and, you know, whatever, and chat with them and everything. It just didn't feel right. But like I said, it's, it's just, you know, I say, it, it just stank. It ruined everything for me that I felt for the club at the time. That, that's how it made me feel. I was lucky because I thought I'd want me on loan at the time. I thought I'd want me on loan tonight. There's another club that wanted me to go on loan. And with knowing Mark Lillis through the academy at Huddersfield and knowing how Mark worked and because Halifax was just down the road, you know, from where, where we live and everything, it just, I just thought, you know what, it was literally just put that to me. It was literally like, these clubs want you, which one are you choosing? Did you ever confront sort of Neil Thompson then about not playing and, or was it sort of beyond the no, point of repair I, with him, that relationship? I, I mean, to be honest, there was one time and it was it was an absolute joke and I just didn't even bother. You know what I mean? In the club, eight in the morning or half eight, you know, just some you want to see me in the office and I was saying, well, look, for me to come to you at that time, I'm going to have to leave at some like six in the morning because 
the M62 was wasn't, wasn't Taurus then. And I said, I said, I can't believe that my house, and I think we, we, we arranged an in-house friend like with somebody at Brooklyn Crescent. And I was like, I said, for me to get there on time, I'm, I'm going to struggle 100%. He goes, well, you have to leave early. And I'm like, I'm going to struggle because I'm going to hit up the traffic to get to get on time. Like, well, that's not my problem. I want to see you early time, you know, in his office. Mm. I must have hit every single bit of traffic you could have. It was just, I was like, do you know what? I'd even left 45 minutes prior to where I would, you know, to leave. Yeah. I just got snowballed. It, it didn't make a difference. It didn't make a difference. And do you know what? I got in. I didn't even go to his office. I just sat in the changing rooms and Bobby Pims came to me and said, what are you doing? I'm like, I said, it don't matter, does it though? I'm just letting you know what time I set off. I've hit every bit of traffic and I've got here for, for an in-house friendly. So I've got here at the same time as all the other lads. I didn't even bother. I didn't explain myself to him. It was just pointless. It was a bullshit move by him and he knew it. I wasn't bothered. Just did not care. You eventually moved to Gillingham where you scored, I think, four goals in nine starts, but you were often on the fringes there. But mm. it was a real successful season for the club, wasn't it? I think they came third and went up by the playoffs. Yeah. I think yeah. they played Chelsea as well in the, in, mm. in the FA Cup run that they had. Is that almost harder to, to sort of be part of a successful side when you're not playing regular than it, than it would be to be at a side that's sort of mid-table and you're not playing? Do you know what I'm saying? That It must be difficult to watch. I mean, I looked at some of the strikers that Gillingham had. I mean, if you know, oh. great player, Robert Taylor... Really good player. Carlos Arba, one of the best players I think I saw play at York for the, a few years before. I mean, it must have been a tough ass to get in that side anyway, but but even so, to not play, and obviously you're someone who really does like to play mm. games, it must have been a hard season that. To, to be honest, I actually, when I found out that Wayne Jones, the physio, he'd spoke because he, he went at Huddersfield. I'd spoken to him because you know, he'd phoned me, he said, look, really want to sign you, blah, blah, you know, really going places, you know, you, you want this opportunity. So I was like, yeah, I'm going. And they played Scunthorpe on a Tuesday, I think it was, a Tuesday night. And Peter Teller wanted me to meet him at Scunthorpe to then travel back down with, with, um, with him. And I was like, I said, to be fair, it's just a bit too much. Can I just come down Thursday? Totally fine. I said, brilliant, no problems. But I was so happy knowing the fact that possibly the best defenders in the league, which I which was always tough to be played against them, strong midfield with quality in there, but also knowing the strikers that there at the time where I'm like, yeah, I want some of that. I want that challenge. I wanted that challenge. I did, I, again, I didn't know whether I would start every week. I didn't know if I, you know, whatever and all kind of stuff, but I just knew that where I had to go. But then looking back, I think I gave too much respect to the players that were around me. For me, it was like signing for like for Man United and playing with Ronaldo's and Bex's and just literally being in awe of them. Whereas... Had I been just me and not caring about who is next to me in that sense, it would have gone a lot more easier for me. When, the, when, when we were pushing for games, winning games, it just drives you up or, you know, doing more in training, keeping that team bondness together. I'd have loved to be playing at Wembley, family there, being there, all kinds of things, right? But to get promotion, I've got my medal. Yeah, it's on your CV. You know, I was still part of that squad. Not playing week in, week out, but I was still part of the squad and my medal proves it. Following season, Peter Taylor obviously left to go to Leicester and the entire leg over. It didn't make a difference what I did, to be honest. It didn't make a difference whether I scored goals in, you know, in, in, the, in the reserve league, players being not being not available or injured. I was never, I was never in his plans. Never openly told me that. I, I would have respected him more had I just said, look, Rodney, not my type of player, move yourself on. So there was never that conversation. So that was disappointing in that sense. That's when I, when I got the move to Hull. I don't have any regrets making that decision to go and sign for because like I said, for me, by far, 
just knowing the fact that I wasn't going to be kicked by Ash and Guy Butters and Aidan Pinnock. And, and, you know, it was just, and Smudger, Paul Smith coming with guns, you know, with a side. I, it was just a pleasure knowing to be part of that. I can't ask them all. And you mentioned Hull City there, who, who I think it's fair to say, you know, you've got cult hero status for them. I mean, you joined them right at the height of a financial crisis, but played a key role as oh, the club got, got into the playoffs, which is remarkable. I mean, first of all, it's everyone's dream, isn't it, to be a, a professional footballer, I think. But mm. it must be a nightmare when you're not getting paid. And I think you had quite a young family back then as well, didn't you? Yeah, I, the year I signed, and we'd had, we'd had many conversations with me and um, Brian Little, and... I was just like, I'm not sure about this move. I, I wanted to play for him, but I was more concerned about seeing in the press money where his money. And I kept thinking, well, I'm not playing anyway, but I'm still getting paid. So financially for me and my family, it, I was like, I don't want it to be a burden on my young family. So I signed, trained in the new year. So, so, so I signed New Year's Eve or something like that. Trained um, with the team. Knew a few players already there and everything. So it was it was an easy transition, you know. I mean, it wasn't an uncomfortable one. It was just pretty easy. Brand little, very like his brother, very, very just down to earth. I, I was a bit nervous. I'm thinking Premier League manager might be, a, you know what I mean? But again, he, he was just literally sound, down to earth, brilliant. Remember just hearing the words in the changing rooms, just saying, just to make you aware, lads, we're getting paid this month. And I was like, one training session, one training session. And I can't even I can't even go back now. So that was, and like you said about saying, you know, being in and out at Gillingham, playing for Hull in a situation that we were in, knowing that we weren't getting paid, knowing that lads couldn't put petrol into their cars, knowing that people's mortgages were being, you know, the players that could have lost end up losing their houses, credit cards Seriously, being maxed out. Yeah. So it, it, it is, it's not, I know people think that this um, dream about being a footballer is all bits and glamour. It's brutal. Going through the system is brutal. Things that you see on TV or you hear on TikToks or Instagrams and all that kind of nonsense. It's not a reality of what it, what actually a lot of players actually go through. But what we went through as a group of players, players that were playing, players that were playing, players were, players could literally walk out the door next day and sign for clubs for free. So we, we didn't know, it was every, every day thinking like, well, are you staying? Are you going? It was absolute chaos, but it was the best chaos you could ever experience. It was the best ever because we went on a, on a ridiculous run. And bear in mind, like, we're like Saturday, Tuesdays for like a good three months or something like that. So we just Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesdays. So we play the Saturday. We turn up Tuesday for the game, play Tuesday. If you were in the reserves, you turn up Wednesday and play your reserve game. We turn up Friday to train and then we play Saturday. And we did that week in, week out. And all we could think of, well, I'm either playing for another move because I need to get, you know, we need to get... Yeah, need to get paid. <laughs> get paid. Need to get paid. So I'm playing for a move. Plus, we need to win games. We have to win games because the fans, and bear in mind, if you recognise now in the, in the whole city ground, it was cornered off because it was unsafe. And mm. you know, those fans come through, through those gates with their hard-earned money to, you know, give us hope. I was like, I am not having some young kid there with his parents and seeing me not, not giving it my own because of something, a financial situation and wearing the shirt. So we went on this ridiculous, it was ridiculous, honestly. How we did not get promoted breaks my heart. And it was that turning point. That was the massive turning point with, for us as, as a group of players. You know, no one saw it happening. No one envisaged that we would end up in playoffs pushing for uh, promotion. No one saw that. And we literally were just 
fighting every single game. But knowing, guess what? Can you get home today? If you've got enough money to get some petrol, getting handouts. People get them like 40 quid handouts, something like that. It was, I spent more time with my, with my kids. I was able to do more with my kids, but still be able to perform in games. So I cherished those times that, mm. you know, like through the day and like with my kids and all that kind of stuff and all that. Because when, obviously, when you're football and everything, it's like, well, see it, more, you know, you leave it morning and then you're back at whatever time. Sometimes they'll be asleep and everything, like, right, well, yeah. I'll see it more. You know, so in that case, I, I, I did cherish those moments in that way. But oh, I'll tell you what, what a blast. As unreal as it could be. Unbelievable fans. Unbelievable. And to lose in the manner that we did at Leighton Orient. And I remember, I mean, I, I was kind of thinking further ahead in the playoffs. All I kept thinking myself, this is now my time to always feel they've been for the autoglass, the playoff final. Then I went to Gillingham playoff final. So three occasions where I'd been, but not walking through that tunnel with my shirt on to say, right. And I kept thinking, right, this is 100%. This is my time now. No one's going to take this away from me. Nobody. 100%. I didn't have the, the best first leg at home. Over 40. Trying way too hard. Wasn't working. Looked pathetic, basically. Came in the following day and didn't know, didn't know the team, didn't know whatever. And got to the team and I was on the bench and I was fuming. Probably the one time that I didn't want to speak to him ever again, the manager at the time. I didn't even want to speak to him. I didn't want to speak to In fact, I don't think I spoke to anybody until I came on the pitch. I never said a word to anybody. I did not want to speak to anybody. I was just like, I need to get to the final. Lads had holidays hold booked, you know, like way in advance. The final would have been where lads would have been on the holidays. I'm like, I don't know what you're on about. I'm going to Wembley. I don't know about you a lot, but I know I'm going. So I was so I was that fueled. I was, I was so mad. I just could not speak to anybody. They played brilliant on the day, letting our in. Give them credit. They, 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 they played really good. We didn't perform anywhere near to how we'd, we'd done to get us to, to, to that positions. And I just remember just getting on and I was just running around like a madman for the team, obviously. But yeah. I just had this energy where I was like, I am not coming off this pitch until we win. And I was just determined just to, and just at the end of the whistle, when that whistle blew, it was painful. And I just remember walking over and I thought, I cannot have these fans walk away. I mean, don't be wrong. I mean, they would, they had every right to, they weren't, they weren't happy, 100%. But I just remember seeing a young young kid that was there at the front. He was heartbroken. And I just gave him my shin pads, football boots. I just remember just walking off the pitch. That was my time gone. I knew it from there on and we'd miss an opportunity. Because it's such a big club hole, aren't they? And, 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 you know, you, I think you got six goals in, in 14 games, almost like back to that sort of spell yeah, you had yeah, at York City. Yeah. I mean, it must have felt, I mean, obviously you were devastated there. It sounds like you were a broken man at the mm. end of that, that second leg, mm. but it must have been good for you to feel wanted again. I feel like a real key part of, of, of a side. Yeah. Again, it was more like mixed wires. It was between the chairman, the manager and myself, you know, because I had a year left. And there was a, a bit of a do we went to where, where there was a videos and I was like in a lot of these videos. So I was kind of like, okay. And lads were saying, look, Rodney, you know, definitely get a new deal. I went, you think so? I went, oh, so look, Rodney, the highlight reel was more or less, you want it. You know? I mean, I was like, oh, right, yeah, right. So maybe. So it was in an agent at the time. And I went, oh, a year left and I need some security for my, for my family. You know, I said like, do you think we should, be going in and it was like no I'm not sure we're, we're, we're fine totally fine there's nothing to do I said right so you sure we wait yeah it's totally fine and then Laurie Duffield came Gary Alexander then came and I'm like 
hang on a minute. If these guys are coming in now, I need to go and speak to the chairman. If they, you know these guys are, t- are playing in my positions, they could they could be starting. I need some security, for, you know, for me and my family. So the start of the preseason, it was possibly my worst preseason that I had in my whole career because I still hadn't got over the fact I was losing the playoff. I didn't prepare training wise, which I always did prior to going back to to the preseason training. I think I did maybe a couple of days workout. I just could not get over the fact of what happened mentally. Didn't put myself in the right position. Quite rightly so, didn't start the season. I don't think any of my manager would have started me regardless either. So I should have had them conversations with Brian at the time to let him know just exactly how it was. And maybe I could have had that support again. But again, looking back, it was just something that I just used to do, just deal with it myself. But it was the wrong thing for me because you're not playing. I wasn't fit. I was way off it. Little niggly injuries here and there coming in and out. And I remember scoring a goal, not sure about the contract. So I remembered scoring away at Rushland Diamonds. <laughs> That's funny. I've got that, got that down yeah. here. I know exactly what you're going to yeah, say. Yeah. <laughs> so I scored against Rushland Diamonds. And again, it, a bit like the goal against Burnley, it was that whole pressure lifted. I remember the chairman walking past me, Adam Pearson, and he just said to me, I think we have a word about this, about your contract now, don't you, Rodney? And I went, yeah, <laughs> we do. And unfortunately, Brian was sacked. Again, we didn't see it coming. Obviously, they were on the lookout for a new manager. The youth team manager took over it. He played Gary Bradshaw, young lad, Hullborn, good kid. And I'd, I'd spoken to the manager, Brian, the following day after the game. And he was a bit disappointed because he was like, saying, look, he wasn't quite ready for the first team. So he felt a bit gutted about that. And I still believe that Brian would have got us promotion, had the pull of getting in really, really good players, experienced players. So I always had that feeling he was going to pull in. I mean, me and the chairman, we always had a good conversations. He asked me my opinions. I quite openly said what I thought. And mm. But who can fault him for what he's done? Because he got Hull to a level. And obviously now he's now, he's now chairman of Hull, Hull FC. Obviously brought in Jan Molbe. Didn't think much of me. And respectfully, you know, he didn't hang around because when it came to the contract, it was like, well, there is no, because obviously the manager coming in. So I knew that moment gone, I, I went ballistic with my agent at the time because it was about... Yeah, it was you could have got it in the summer, couldn't you? Yeah, yeah. You know, it, it's something, that, it's something that, that could have been dealt with. People generally thought I was trying to leave the club on the free, mm. whereas it was the opposite. I actually wanted to sign for the club. I would have signed for the club. You just wanted some security. Basically. I would have signed for that club. If they give me a year, I'd, I'd take a year, two years. Mm. If it could be 10 years, I'd have signed for that club. Well, you clearly have passion for that club. I mean, it, the, yeah, yeah. The, the reason yeah. why I mentioned about the Russian, you know, York fans probably won't understand this, but the goal, you sort of smash it in and then your shirt's off and you're there with yeah. the, it. looks yeah. like, a, you know, one of those sort of limbs moments as, as people sort yeah. of call them these days. I mean, I just wanted to kind of finish off the whole thing by saying that, mm-hmm. you know, we, we talked a little bit earlier about the era of sort of four four two, wasn't it? And the big man, little man sort of partnerships. Yeah. Up front. Kevin Francis was a big man, wasn't he? <laughs> <laughs> what, what was it like playing against things? I, I, I remember him at Stockport destroying destroying York City a number oh. of times but and I, I noticed that you you two had sort of played for Hull City up front together yeah. I mean, what, what was it like playing alongside him oh I tell you honestly the toughest thing a lot of people whinging more about saying oh football is this and roll around and some blah, blah blah I just remember John Whitney and John Whitney was I knew John from when he was at Huddersfield and it was one of them ones where you, you just gave John a bit of space and if he's going to come through you just let him have it whatever and stuff and just remember them two going in and I'm talking car crash and I'm thinking whoa and he's caught Francis clean 
And I'm thinking, well, he's done here. They just went, I'm good. Let's play on. And I thought it's going to get tasty. (laughs) But that was the kind of thing that helped because like he said, he went, just get ready for the flick-ons. I'll deal with the ugly stuff. You go and do what you would do. I'll deal with the ugly stuff. And he did. The bruiser coming, you know, all that kind of stuff. He made it easier for me to say, look, you do the damage going that way. I'll take care of these. He was, he was a, a different term to him and from right? But he went, I'll deal with these lot. You just go and do, go out there and you just go and do you. And Kev didn't say much, didn't need to say much. It was just that look, just pointing the finger or to give you a fist bump. Let's go do it. And then we had Theodore Whitmore and yeah. Ian Goodison. And I think you could interview any person that played with Hull in that time. And I guarantee you now, if it came to a keep ball session or whatever, as long as you knew you were on their side, you, you, you win the game. Mm. They were so underrated. It is unbelievable. You know, they should have been played higher than what, than what they were. They were that good. They were unbelievable. We had Gary Brabin in there, enforcer, just dealing with things. Lee Philpott, ex-player, Richard Sneakers, Premier League. Mark Atkins, Premier League. These players coming through, and I'm thinking, you could see where the gaffer, uh, Brian at the time, was looking to go, and you want to be on that wave with him. And it was like, right, I can see where this is going. New signings incoming. Right, okay. There's a push here, isn't there? But I want part of this. So to not get promoted with the club, to then leave, to then not even be part of the new stadium, to me was more like, I wish I would have been part of that. A bit like York now with the new stadium. Imagine how we played football then if we were in that stadium right now. 3,000 roughly per game, home game. You think to yourself, gosh, I wish I was there right now. Recently just went with Ian Dunn, you know, for the supporters and... Yeah, that was a Kettering game, wasn't it? Exactly. I know it's a lot yeah. of people said that you you showed the most passion that day out of yeah. all the players. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, Dunnit had always said to me, like, you know, to try and get over, try and get over. And I was like, you know what, I'm going to... And I'd said, like, because a bit older, is to try and get back and to me old clubs and go and watch games mm. and just go over that kind of stuff. And to be honest, I, I just didn't get it. It doesn't really matter how you get the win, but you've got to look like you actually care for the club. And I'm not saying the players don't. I'm not, I know Clayton Donald, Donaldson in my time at Hull together, but I'm watching somebody of, of his of his age and experience giving more on the pitch than some of these younger lads. And to me, I'm like, you've got possibly one of the best opportunities to gain a good status from the fans. And I don't think they're taking that chance. I generally don't believe that they're taking that chance. And they've got to find a way as a group of players to find that close-knit bond to get themselves out. Listen, there's no, there's no God-given right that they should be in the football league. You know, York City, there's no God-given right. But someone has to step up now and, and make the name for themselves. But it's, it's about the unit of the players. And I generally do wish and I hope that they find that solution. Yes, I see the comments on Twitter. Yes, I see the back and forths, born and everything and this and that, right? But again, it still comes down to the players. I know there's a lot of resentment towards the chairman. The chairman's put his money in. I know the resentment's coming from the fans. The fans pay their hard money to go for the turnstiles. It's now down to the players to put the performances on the pitch. And until that happens on the pitch, I don't think anything should really, should, 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 really, should really be said negatively because it just, for me, I actually experienced walking down the stairs to go to the halftime draw, watching the next generation of kids sat on the front row. They don't know me in general. To hold anyway. I'll show that. him your chip against what? Preston. I'm gonna say, yeah, but... <laughs> yeah. You know, he is. It's just to show him that I, I actually did play for the club. You know what I mean? So that'd be nice. But to me, that's what's important. Those young fans are going to be there supporting, say, 20, 30, 40 years and still come for those turnstiles. But you've got to make sure that you, you, you've got to grasp them and show them because one of those kids could be coming through the system and could be putting on that shirt. 
And they've got to know that, that if they're going to put themselves through that, they've got to see no why. And it's got to be that it has to be that. Two final questions, Rodney. You know, after Hull, you talked at Lenfair about the devastation of that playoff game. Mm. And then you sort of drifted into the non-league. And I, I always kind of wondered why that happened because you, you were, you know, I think 26, 27, I was trying to work it out, you know, possibly coming into your prime as a footballer. I don't know if it was to do with injuries or, because no. you know, I can imagine you would have had offers, you know, what, do you have any yeah. regrets from that sort of, that time period? Yeah. So I had a few offers and got lots of niggling injuries over and over. Obviously, I wasn't part of the plans of Jan Mobe's plans. I didn't hold any resentment towards Jan Mobe. Obviously, he's going to bring his own players in and, yeah. and, and that was totally fine. But I, I didn't injure my hamstring and clubs were like saying, look, we're to come down. So I said, look, I've done my hamstring in. It's possibly coming down. You know what I can do. Do you want to sign me or not? You know, you've seen me play against your teams before. There's nothing for me to prove. Obviously, I'm injured. I'm just getting treatment every day because it was Shrewsbury. Mark Atkins was good mates with the lad and young men. I just said, look, you know me. I'm injured, but I'm not getting a new deal. But once that badly, I will sign. But it didn't materialise because they were looking for a striker there and then. So... I mean, to be fair, playing the, non- the non-league teams and all that, I never had that same passion as I did from when I first started at Huddersfield Town. I never had I never had that feeling of, right, I've got a game, so I can't wait. It was more like, there was no day-to-day, no pre-season, do my training before pre-season. Everything routine. I didn't gain anything. I didn't enjoy anything about it. And... I know Brian Little tried to sort me out with a few clubs. There's opportunities to play play abroad. I thought brilliant. I thought that'd be great. Somewhere different. But again, didn't materialise. And by then, it was as much as I loved the game and I, my God, fantastic time. Great memories in that sense. I had to put my family first. I couldn't wait to see if something was going to happen. Working education now, a long, long path to get there when you're doing voluntary work and doing jobs to get yourself in position to where I'm currently right now. Financially, it is hard and there's nothing worse than looking at your two children and thinking it's been good for a while, but things might change. That's the kind of scary bit of it. I do have regrets in my career in the manner the way it did. That's something, again, that I've got to accept because... I should have been more insistent. I could have been more open with the chairman. If we had a conversation, he would have known that me signing a new contract was the only thing that I was looking to do, not to leave. It's almost like that was a sort of sliding doors moment of your career. If it had gone that way, then you you might have ended up playing another three, four, five seasons or whatever. But but because it didn't, like you say, you had to put your family first and a massive respect that, that you did do that. Yeah, in hindsight, with the way things are, you just expected it. You just thought, well, yeah, that's going to happen and I'm going to get a new deal because I've done really well and you know, yeah. I've shown that. I didn't want to leave York, but it was the right thing to do for me. I didn't want to leave Huddersfield, but again, it was the right move for me. I didn't even think I, I would ever leave Huddersfield. I always envisioned the fact that I would always play for my whole career from a hometown club. As you go through the system, you, you know that that's just not the case. Never in a million years did I want to leave Hull. I'd formed a good relationship with the players. I formed a good relationship with the fans and the, the management. So... I was happy. And for me to leave on a free transfer from a club, that club has to really either A, doesn't want me or doesn't respect me or doesn't rate me. I don't think I had that. But if it's happened for a reason. The, the final question I was going to ask you was about, and I think I know the answer to it, about the toughest mm. opponent you've ever faced. And I heard you say it was when you played for York against Fulham. And I thought it was quite a funny mm. funny story. So I didn't know if you wanted <laughs> to, to finish with that for us, Rodney. Yeah. I mean, you saw that team, didn't you? <laughs> Ridiculous you saw Keegan. It was ridiculous. That shouldn't have been allowed that. But I was lucky enough to play in the championship with town. So it wasn't something like I didn't know or didn't experience because I, I was playing against ex-internationals back then. And I knew in the championship and all that, that it was 110%. Believe me, you were playing at 110% just to compete 
with those on that level. And that was the sort of quality in, in that sense. I could go on and on about, you know, different types of players that we've played against and all that kind of stuff. Like say we mentioned about the Billy Jones and the Robbie L, you know, you know, those sort of players and you think to yourself, I actually grace the pitch with those players and these guys are like out there, you know, the best of the best up there at the moment. But just to see, even when um, we played the testimonial when Paul Gascoigne played, yeah. the Brazilian, Emma said, yeah. I'm on the pitch with these players and I'm like, is this actually really happening? <laughs> Another step up of the levels of where you've got, you've, you've got to get to. I knew my level was championship unless someone was was willing to get, get me a Premier League chance. That's just another different step of another different, le- you know, another level. The championship was, was always difficult. So I always knew that if it was somebody who was good in the air or I'd always make sure, right, my runs would always be channel. I'd work that defender just hopefully to take away the threat that he's had. If it was somebody that wants to be tight, I'd always come short to give myself enough space to then run in behind. So I always try to adapt my game to... To different, you know, for different types of players. If it was that player that likes two foot, yeah, from behind and all kinds of anything, I'd make sure that I, I was nowhere near him as best I could, you know. Yeah. God, they were criminals with them tackles from behind. And, oh, I don't know how the, the laws that be allowed those sort of tackles in, in, in all fairness. I might, I might put, put a claim in to their fear later on, <laughs> you know, depending on six operations later. But yeah, I, I always treat every opponent as a difficult task. For me, like, just just for the sheer class and calmness, and Kit Simons and Chris Coleman, it, it, it was just it just a, a different level. When you've got Steve Finnan, seven million, and Barry Hales, bang it, oh Barry, you know what a boy, what a striker he was, by the way. Played he, he was about fifty as well, I think, didn't he? Oh, he God, he played for years God. and years and years. Oh, he was, you know, the people like Sean Gorter, and, and quite rightly got you know got his name feed the goat. You'd look at his thing, you want to play with those players. You want to experience what they do in training. How can you take it to another level? What do, what are they doing that, that I'm not doing? Chris Coleman, I think, didn't you try sort of do those tricks that you talked about there? And then he said to you sort of like, it's not happening. No, no, not even in a smug way. Just to say, look, I'm on this level. You're down here a little bit more. Because I was pretty quick. So I thought, right, I'm not going to, clearly I'm not going to win headers. If I want to head out, I'd be pleased with myself because I didn't, I didn't like heading it at all, but I always g- g- gave it a go. But my pace was was always key factor. And I just remember, I thought, I've, I've seen him on TV. I know he's not very quick. I've got him. I was going maximum full on and he was jogging. And I was like, how is that even possible? And just then it was more like, you know what? Well, that's gone. I can't beat him in the air. Adapting your game to the plays that you kind of play against to just try and find a little opening, but they gave us nothing that day. They gave us absolutely nothing. But yeah, well worth it though. I've been very, very lucky throughout my career. Players I've played with and also players I've played against, it's, it's put me in good stead and couldn't follow it. Well, Rodney, I've, I've been trying to get you on the podcast for a couple of series now. We've never been able to make it work. It's been absolutely worth the wait. I, I yeah. thank you so much for giving it your time. I've, I've really enjoyed that. I hope you have as well going over York City stories on, on the rest of your career. Yeah. Well, to be fair, I mean, we, we were supposed to go to the new restaurant, Esther Buller, weren't we? That's right, yeah, uh, yeah. There by, by the ground and kind of tie it in for yourself and for the fans and all that kind of stuff. Maybe arrange that and do a um, Q&A for the fans, maybe. Definitely. Um, I think that'd be a, a good way of putting a positive spin for the York fans. And hopefully 2022 is, a, is more positive for all my clubs and for the fans. That'd be brilliant. 
So it was Rodney Rowe there. Hope you enjoyed that. Rodney was someone I was trying to get on the podcast for a couple of series. Just couldn't quite make it work on the last one. So I was delighted that we could get a chance to do that on this series. Also, big thanks to Had IT, James Richardson, for uh, sponsoring this episode. It's really great to have new sponsors. And James has always been a long-time listener of the, of the podcast and normally sends really nice comments about it. So it's really great to have him on board as a sponsor. There will be another episode in this series at the time that I'm recording this. I haven't recorded that last episode of the series, but hoping to do that quite soon. And then I know you've had to wait six months for this series to come together. I'm putting things in place now to get a, a kind of almost like a back-to-back series, which I've already got a guest for that, that I can't really speak too much about now, but I'm really excited about who that person is and uh, I'll share more details when I can. Broken record time again. If you're able to donate to our charity, uh, York Hospital Radio, that'd be much appreciated. Just giving.com forward slash York Hospital Radio. Again, but even if it's just a small donation, it really does make a difference. If you're not able to do that, there are other ways that you can help us as a charity. Certainly if you're listening to this on Spotify, then they've got a new kind of rating system. If you could click at the top and give us a rating, that, that helps us push up the rankings, I guess, and their categories. Similarly, if you're listening on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, that, that's appreciated as well. Any positive reviews? And finally, we've been um, tagged into a couple of nominations for the Non-League Bible Awards. We appear to be nominated in two categories, uh, one for Best Charity and one for Best Podcast, which is great that people think that we are the best non-league podcast. If you're able to vote for us, I think it is to be just a bit of a popularity contest at this stage. So if you can go to their Twitter feed, Non-League Bible, pretty obvious from there, you just have to tag us in. There's also a website for Non-League Bible Awards and um, there you can just kind of fill in our name in the in the relevant section. There's also other good uh, York City content creators out there like young Ryan Brooks who I think a lot of York City fans are becoming aware of he's in the young content creator category so you know any sort of York City related content that you can see out there it'd be great to tag as many people in as you can so just finally to finish off just to say thanks again for listening some really nice comments coming in for this series and it's, it's really great to read them and obviously now Chris Marples at the last uh, episode and Rodney Rowe on this episode they're both on Twitter so they'll be able to see all the comments that people put on and all the ones that have, of people that we've done earlier on in the series that, that are on social media I've, I've forwarded all the messages to them and they're really pleased with what people have written so keep them coming in and keep listening thanks very much